Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning. I have a slide says good morning on it. Good morning. Come on in, find a seat. There's plenty of room in the first two rows here. I mean, I'll, I'll come out there. I've done it before. Come on in, grab a seat. We're going to go from like rock and roll music to meditation. It makes sense. Yes. Look at these people here. Hello, friends. All right. How's everyone doing? Come on with this weather. Is this okay? You guys all right with this weather? No? All right. Well, my name's John. It's good to be here with you this morning. And like we've been doing for the past two weeks and now entering into a third week, uh, I am going to ask you to participate in a spiritual practice. And for those of you that haven't been with us for the last two weeks, I want to talk about why we're doing this real briefly, and then we'll get to it. But essentially, I, you know, I've been going to church for a lot of years. I've been showing up like you guys, sitting in the chairs, and, uh, you know, for years what the church does, or what many of us don't understand, is called high church. Anybody familiar with high church? It's like liturgy. This is confession, call and response. There's recitation of passages all sorts of things that happen in high church. And all these practices are meant to form you and shape you into a particular type of person. Like confession, you would become a person that confesses regularly, not just once on a Sunday or to a priest or anything like that, but that this would be a regular part of your life. And what I've found in sort of the more non-denominational evangelical churches that I've been a part of is I show up like you and sit out there much like we would sit in a movie theater, and then I watch what's happening on stage, and then I base my relationship with God on how everything's going up here. You follow me? In other words, I outsource my spirituality to the people up here. I'll let them do it, okay? So I show up here, I sit in the seats, I watch, and depending on whether Boog is inspiring or not, I leave and I say, I didn't get fed. That's like a common thing you say, leaving church. Uh, I'm just really not getting fed. Hmm, okay. And then there's another thing that we say. We come up here, and then depending on how Tyler and everybody and Kirsten and, and Greg, Greg's hitting the beats on the bass, it's, you know, we leave and we say, I didn't like the worship. Or I liked the worship. And what we do is, if we like the worship and if we're getting fed, then we feel closer to God somehow. We have outsourced our spirituality to this place up here. And we don't take responsibility for what's happening out here. And so I want to, I'm with you. I'm out there with you, and I want to take responsibility for my part in what it means to practice this stuff. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've taken, you know, five minutes to do a modified Lexio Divina. We've taken five minutes to do 
a modified centering worship prayer. And we're going to take five more minutes this time uh, just to concentrate on a passage. We're, we're, we're literally just going to meditate on a passage of Scripture. And Jesus, it says, would often wake up early, as was his custom, and retreat to a solitary place to pray. And so early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus would get up and go to a solitary place and pray. And I can only imagine in Jesus' day how quiet it might have been. Just, just take out the hum of any electricity. Like I can hear these monitors giving me a little bit of feedback right now. Take out any overhead flight patterns. No planes, no helicopters, no trucks using their motors to brake, no, no cars in general. No factories, no horns honking. All it is is just nature. I mean, it just gets really, really quiet. And studies have been done. It's really hard to get that kind of just absolute silence in the world these days. People go looking for it, and it's really hard to find. But Jesus, he would wake up and go into this, what I would consider probably really silent, maybe the lapping of the little tiny waves of the sea, Onto the shore, perhaps some roosters, various birds, who knows. But just nature. And then it talks about in the scripture how we would meditate on the, on the words of scripture day and night. And so what we're going to do this morning for three to four minutes, I'll set a timer. I know you guys. Come on. You guys don't have four minutes in you, do you? I think you do. I'm going to set the timer for four minutes, and I have a passage of scripture, and so let's move to that passage, and I'll, we'll read it together. This is our morning meditation. How great, how great <laughs> is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. How great is that? Or how great is the love? I mean, it's, it's this exclamation that John, who is called the beloved disciple, John, a close friend of Jesus's. We don't often just think, like, Jesus had some good buddies. <laughs> this was one of them. This was one of the things that Jesus revealed to him. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We are in this family essentially. And there is this love that has been lavished on us. And I would argue, as we get into today, that this is something that's very unfamiliar to each of us. Uh, so, what I want you to do in our, in our morning meditation, uh, and my hope is that you can take this and do this on your own, but essentially, would you take this verse and just repeat it to yourself silently, okay? And then once you kind of have it in your head and you have maybe just one phrase of it, oh, we are the children of God, I am a child of God, uh, just focus on that. So st let's start, just we'll read it together. I'll read it. You can read it if you want out loud, but... Uh, you can read it in your mind, too. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. 
Okay, so for a moment here, the first minute, I'd like you all just to close your eyes. Just relax in your chair. Maybe put your hands on your knees, on your lap. Just let your shoulders drop a little. Take one deep breath in through your nose. And just let it out. Whatever you can leave behind that's distracting you, let it all out. Try not to think of me and my voice. Don't let me get in the way of this time. As we enter into the final minute, I want you on a loop in your mind to be saying to yourself, I am a beloved child of God. I am a beloved child of God. As things come into your mind that that would argue otherwise, places where you feel like you have a shortfall, an addiction, a habit that you don't like, something about yourself that you don't like, breathe that out and insist on the voice of God saying, I am a beloved child of God. There it is. Welcome back. Sorry for the cold play there at the end. Um, that was not, I did not realize that was the, uh, the alarm on my phone. <laughs> ah, all right. Thanks for practicing that with me. My hope is that you'll take that practice along with the others that we've been doing. Uh, and incorporate them into the ordinary parts of your day. Uh, that today, whenever you're feeling insecure or feeling like you're falling short, that you might just close your eyes and for a minute just breathe in that you are a beloved child of God. Uh, so we've been in this series, Believing Like Jesus, the Beliefs of Jesus. And I have a little outline for us today to let, let you all know where we're going. Uh, play that back again for me, won't you be my neighbor? No solid ground, just be, house of cards, never forget, too good to be true, and rooted and grounded. Uh, so that's where we're headed, and I really like this series, and I feel like I, I can continue to say the same thing over and over again, and it's still going to kind of be new, because we need to hear this thing over and over again which is we have been taught for so many years in the church the importance of believing in Jesus, which I would argue is an important thing. But perhaps we have left out a big part of the journey in believing like Jesus. In other words, what did Jesus wake up in the morning believing? Often we don't even think about Jesus waking up in the morning. Uh, we have argued for so long about Jesus' divinity, about his atoning sacrifice on the cross, about his redeeming sacrifice, about his miracles, about all the things about Jesus that we are supposed to ascribe to and believe in. We need to check these boxes. Is he part of the Trinity? Yes. Or is he divine? Yes. Is he, you know, all these sorts of things that we have been trying to push and say, believe in these things. Where I think Jesus would wake up and say, this is, this is what I believe, and I think I would like it if you guys would see things the way I see them, and would believe what I believe, and would live like I live. 
he didn't, as far as I could tell, go around with a list of things saying, all right, I'm here, I'm God in a bod, and these are the things you got to believe. Right? I, di- I don't see that with a scroll or something. Instead, he goes around and he teaches not about real Christian-y things, about like atoning sacrifice, to which if you just showed up off the street to a church service and you heard the words atoning sacrifice for your sins, you'd be like, I have no, that's probably some other language that I don't understand. I don't understand what you mean by that. Your average person who is not a part of a Christian church kind of thing has no idea what atoning sacrifice for your sins means. But we get so used to using that language in the church that it just kind of rolls off our tongue, and we, well, you have to believe in the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Jesus comes along and starts talking about sheep and farmers scattering seed and coins and women baking and tiny little mustard seeds that grow into giant bushes. He talks about these very common things to illustrate these deep truths about how the world is actually working. And then we complicate it all with our lists of things. Believe in this, believe in that, believe in this, and believe in that. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Go and learn what this means to his disciples. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Those are his words. I want you to learn to be merciful. I want you to learn to believe in this this thing called mercy. I, I, there's other parts in the, in, the, in the old Hebrew scriptures where he says, I detest your sacrifices. We get so caught up in the religiosity of it all that we miss that, oh, this is actually about living differently in the world. That's what we're trying to do here. So when I say play that back again for me, you ever hear like, uh, I don't know, I've seen tons of TV shows, movies, and whatnot where they're listening to a recording. And they're like, play that back again for me. Or play, play that back again for me. And it's this one line or it's a, you know, it's a scene or, hey, go back. Go back. On, play that again. Play that again. I would argue that we wake up every morning with certain scenes and voices and messages on repeat. Play that back again. Play that back again. And some of them can be very life-giving. Some of them can be beautiful. I love you. You hear that. You've heard that from your parents. I love you. I love you. Some of you have other more harmful things that you've heard. And they're on repeat. Why can't you just, you're never going to be, how could you, there's all these messages, these what I would just call loops going on in your head. And then we live our life based on what those messages and loops are a lot of the time. We make decisions, we respond to people in the world, and we construct a persona based on the loops that are going on our he- in our head. Those messages, those things that could be wonderfully beautiful, that are saying that you are a child of God. And then there's ones that are saying that you've heard, some of you, you're worthless. You're not as good as your sister. You're not as good as your brother. Why can't you be more like so-and-so? You're such a disappointment. You're such a burden. Some of you have those negative messages on repeat. 
And I would argue all of us, to some degree, have some sort of skewed loop going in our head about our true identity, our worth, and who we are. And we react in the world out of that. Jesus woke up, and I would argue that on playback were the words that he heard in in Matthew 3.17, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus woke up grounded in what he called the Father's love. Now, we have to understand that these, these words to describe what we would call the divine, that thing that holds all things together, uh, that which flows through us and around us and all around us, uh, we use this metaphor called the Father. For some of you, the metaphor of the Father is very painful and difficult. It is not a good metaphor for you, right? Some of you have difficult father relationships. Not all of you, but some of you. And so when you hear about God the Father, you immediately think of maybe the best version of your dad. And it still kind of falls short. Or it really falls short. Or it causes some serious destructive thoughts about the actual father, the actual God of the universe. But Jesus woke up fully grounded in the tender love of God. He woke up not worrying about, am I loved today? Is God pleased with me? What do I need to do in order to earn it? Oftentimes, we wake up thinking, what do I have to do to earn it today? And we start right there. So what do I have to do to earn it today? Well, I have to insert your practice here. So I have to do my, I have to do my 15-minute quiet time. I have to pray. Then I have to make myself look a particular way. Some of us spend a lot more time on that than others. Uh, so we wake up and we go to the mirror. What do I have to do to earn it today? And in the mirror, then we have to decide, based on what's coming back at us, everything that needs to happen. For some of us, not much. For other, others of us, there's a lot of art that goes into what comes out an hour later. But all of that, I would argue, comes out of somewhat of a desire and a need to present something that might then be loved approved of. So what message is on playback in your head? Because if you woke up fully loved, what is there to prove? What is there to be afraid of? What are you worried about? I mean, you could just throw on some old clothes and walk out there, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt. Because sometimes we throw old clothes on and we walk out there and it hurts. Sometimes we've let our soul come out very vulnerably and it got hurt. You said, this is who I am. And a lot of people, a lot of broken people around you said, that's not okay. Who you are isn't okay. 
So then you adjusted. So why better, that person seems to be okay with everyone, so I'm going to look like them, or I'm going to talk like them, or I'm going to like what they like, or I'm going to do what they do, or I'm going to become good at what they're good at. That seems to be value. What do I need to do in order to be valued? Humor is a big thing in our culture, would you agree? It's a huge defense mechanism that we use. I mean, if you could be funny, doesn't matter how you look. A lot of comedians. A lot of comedians. They comment on their appearance. So just be thinking, scrolling through the comedians in your head. How many of them are talking about their appearance and how it's not what they want it to be? How many jokes, self-deprecating humor that we do that disarms the audience, makes them feel like, oh, yeah, I could lose a couple extra pounds too. And yeah, all this happening right here isn't what I wanted either. You know, there's all these sorts of ways in which we use humor to be okay. Will you value me if I can make you laugh? Then am I, am I someone if, if you're laughing? So what are we waking up with? What are the, what are the things on playback? I was, uh, this last week my wife and I were up in Santa Barbara. Uh, we we uh, did like a house swap. Some friends of ours went. Actually, nobody took our place. We just took their place. So <laughs> we offered our house, but nobody wanted it. So we went, uh, <laughs> we went to their little two-bedroom, one-bath up in Santa Barbara, and they went up to Oregon to visit family. And we... Uh, we met up with some friends there, and Anna said, I really wanted to see this Mr. Rogers documentary. Anybody heard about this? Uh, so I think we have a little little slide for, for Mr. R. There he is. It's you I like. Oh, so she comes back from this, seeing this, uh, this documentary, and she, she says, oh, babe, you have to see this. You're going to love it. And I'm like, well, tell me. Tell me what. Tell me what you loved about the movie. And she starts, you know, just excited. She was inspired. She's talking about the movie. She says, he was talking about how he was doing this so that kids would know that they were loved just the way they were. And she says, as he was saying that, I was thinking about, like, my kids and kids in my circle. And I was thinking, how can I do that? How can I show them? that they're loved just the way they are. And I'm thinking of the instances where they, they could have doubted that because of my reactions or my actions, right? I don't, <laughs> it's super convicting as a parent, for those of you that are parents, or uh, when you start to reflect on what are the loops that I have put into my child's head? And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, not that one. And I see it come out in, s in my daughter's head sometimes that, you know, I'm not good enough, my eldest. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm somehow, I'm, the things that I'm doing and I'm saying are somehow putting that loop in her head, and I have to work extra hard to pull it out or to give her a different loop, a different message that would be playing. You are good enough. It's actually not about being good enough. You're just loved exactly how you are. And at the end of the movie, she says, Mr. Rogers asked a bunch of adults uh, he's talking about, like, safe people. He says, you know, he says, whenever you're scared, look for the people that are helping, right? 
you can know they are safe people. And then Mr. Rogers asks, who are those people in your life that have spoken truth and have been helpful? And not till that point uh, did Anna think, do I know that? Like, do I truly believe that I don't have to do anything to earn that love? I'm thinking about it for my kids and how can I offer that to my kids, but do I as a parent, do I as as a daughter, as a sister, as a wife, do I know that? Do I know that? And this is, this is the quote uh, of Mr. Rogers, this next one right here, that I think is so beautiful. The greatest thing we can do is to help somebody know that they are loved and capable of loving. Come on. If you haven't seen the movie, go see it. But when we don't know that we are loved or capable of love, things can go horribly wrong. Uh, you guys know that I'm a huge fan of Father Gregory Boyle, and I often quote him and use his books, and I'm going to do that again today. But he works with gang members up in L.A., and he has a new book out called Barking to the Choir. His old one, Tattoos on the Heart, is equally and just as good. Uh, and I... I tell my friends that I treat this book like dark chocolate, only just, just a little bit at a time. Uh, you don't want to blaze through it. Or if you do, you blaze through it, and then you start over, and then you treat it like dark chocolate and go slower. So uh, he says this. He says, the vast majority of homies who come to Homeboy have histories of trauma, which can lead to disorganized attachment patterns. Mom typically the primary caregiver was either frightened or frightening. And the idea of her, whoever has occupied that role, can trigger both approach and avoidance at the same time. Wanting to move toward and flee this person can lead to dissociative symptoms later on in life. He says, attachment repair then is the order of the day at Homeboy Industries as gang members seek to re-identify themselves. So there's certain patterns that have happened in these boys' and girls' lives that have caused major disruption, often stemming from their parents. He says this, arrival at the heart of God is often impeded by one's own history of trauma. We literally cannot get to the heart of this lavish love because of what we've been through. The healthier sense of God may be achieved through a concept called object constancy, the capacity to hold on to the existence or sense of the caregiver, even when the caregiver is not physically present. You've seen this like with little kids, right? When mommy disappears, all of a sudden they break down. Until they learn this object constancy, my mom will be there even if I can't see her, right? They eventually learn what that is. So he says this, one of our therapists told me of told me of arriving to work on a Monday with a box of Triscuits for one of her clients, Andres, who is always hungry, as he puts it. As a nine-year-old, he came, he came home from school to find that his mother, who I presume was mentally ill, had packed up her things and left her only son. For the next two years, he was a he was homeless and a dumpster diver, nine, nine years old, sleeping on park benches until he was found by the quote-unquote system. 
After foster care, gang involvement, and detention, Andreas wandered into our place and began our program. These are his words to the therapist. You brought these for me? He asked in disbelief, talking about the Triscuits. The therapist told me later that he was stunned that she had held him all weekend. She nodded. He responded, you mean you think of me when you're not here? She nodded again. Wow, I never pictured that anyone would think of me when they're not here. He says this, without optimal caregiving relationships and object constancy, the gang members who walk through our doors can feel real anguish and abandonment. There's a chronic fear of both intimacy and being left behind. There's a quote from Isaiah I want to read to you. He says this, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Isaiah has God say this to us for that exact reason. And truth be told about our God, God thinks of us even when we don't think God's there. Now, things can get really bad for some people. And I only share these stories so that maybe you could identify something in your own story. But one of the one of the people that Dr. Boyle works with uh, really got into drugs and a bad life and eventually spent some time in prison. And these guys come into his ministry or his his program and Dr. Boyle, or Father Boyle gets asked to speak at all these places around the country. And he always says, why don't you guys, I want you to come with me. We got, they want me to do stuff for two full days. So then he picks out like a couple homeboys and he says, you guys are coming and you're going to tell your stories. So they come and they tell their stories. And I want you to listen to this story about Sergio, who was in his mid-20s at the time he gave his, his story. And he was working for the janitorial crew, but uh, as he first started. And he says this, he gets up before this audience in Richmond, Virginia, and he says he began his story in an offhanded way. He says, I guess you could say my mom and me, well, we get along so good. I think I was six when she looked at me and said, why don't you just kill yourself? You're such a burden to me. Six. 600 social workers gasped in unison. <gasps> Sergio fanned his hands like he was trying to put out a fire. It sounds way worse in Spanish, he said, reassuring. And <laughs> every, everyone laughed. And he, he says, we all got whiplash from gasp to laugh. He, he's one sentence into his story, and we all need a laugh. He goes on, I think I was like nine years old, Sergio continued, when she drove me to the deepest part of Baja, California, walked me up to the door of this orphanage and said, I found this kid. He paused, his voice beginning to quietly buckle. I was there 90 days before my grandmother could get out of my mom where she had dumped me, and my grandmother came and rescued me. 
He searched for what to say next. And I, I mean, I almost like can't even read this. It's, yeah. For the sake of children in the room, I'm not going to read it. He says this at the end. I wore three t-shirts, he said, swallowing back his tears, well into my adult years because I was ashamed of my wounds. I didn't want no one to see him. Then suddenly he found a, a, fire, a higher perch upon which to rest. But now I welcome my wounds. I run my fingers over my scars. My wounds are my friends. After all, he continued barely getting out the words, how can I help others to heal if I don't welcome my own wounds? And awe came upon everyone, he says. Now, things can get really bad if we have the particular messages playing in our heads that are the wrong message. And we can end up living the exact wrong kind of life because it's not who we really are. Let's go to the next slide. Dr. Axmith says, in every family, it is the parent's job to foster attachment, to be a safe, secure place, to be a home base. It is solely the child's job to be, period. To be. How great, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be children, called children of God. It is solely our job to be. We are held all our lives. You've held me all weekend was what Andres said to his therapist. What God is saying to us is, I hold you your whole life. Just like Jesus woke up grounded, rooted in that love. We can wake up every morning grounded and rooted in that love. But instead, I would argue, we build a house of cards for everyone. Do you like the way I look? Do you like the way I sound? Am I thin enough, fast enough, smart enough, wealthy enough, quick enough? Do I drive a nice enough car? Is my house nice enough? What about the yard? You like that painting we chose? You like this? We're constantly trying to build it up. Because the tape we have playing, the loop that's in our head, is not the one that says, all you have to do is just be. I got one more quote for you. Some people say, this is Boyle, some people say God is good and God has a plan for you. I believe that God is good. But also that God is too busy loving me to have a plan for me. Like a caring parent, God receives our childlike painting of a tree, usually an unrecognizable mess, and delights in it. God doesn't hand it back and say, uh, come back when it looks more like a tree. Or tell us how to improve it. God simply delights in us. And he talks about this. The, like the kid at probation camp after confession. You mean you just sealed my record? 
the God who always wants to clean the slate is hard to believe. The God who always wants to clean the slate is hard to believe. Yet, the truth about God is that God is too good to be true. And whenever human beings bump into something too good to be true, we decide it's not true. Have you decided it's not true? Have I? Because I would argue I don't wake up every morning deciding that that's true. More often than not, I, wake, I woke up this morning or, or most mornings deciding it's not true. And so then I do all this stuff to try and earn it and keep my house of cards so that everybody approves. What would it look like to wake up and have decided that it was true to believe like Jesus believes? Not just believing in Jesus for your salvation, but believing like Jesus for your salvation today. That you would be saved from that life of striving on the hamster wheel. And freed up to a full life. This is how Paul talks about it in Ephesians. And we'll end with this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Every family in heaven and on earth. Every family. Every family. Every family. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded and waking up in that love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's too good to be true. And you cannot trust your own understanding on that one. It surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I wanted to start with what was familiar to all of us and bring us all the way to this passage of Scripture that I would argue is very unfamiliar to most of us. Most of us don't wake up like this. Things that surpass our knowledge, things that we cannot explain, things that are too good to be true. Have you decided that it's not true? Because I'm asking you today to please reconsider. Please reconsider. That God is moving toward you in from all directions at all times in love. Always. Without, without equivocation, always toward you from all directions in love. And you can either decide that that's not true or you can wake up to the reality of that and become fully free and filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we just close our eyes for a moment here, 
may we take a second just to think about that refrain, that I am a beloved child of God. And release all the arguments that I have against that statement. All the reasons why I'm not. All the reasons why it can't be true. May we just open ourselves up to that possibility. And Lord, in the power of your spirit, would you meet us in our minds and in our hearts and in our bodies in this moment. Right now. And just reveal in your still, small voice that we are fully loved. That our only role, our only job is simply to be. To be in your presence, to receive your love. Give us the courage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My son is very extroverted. My oldest son. I am not at all. Um, I like people, but um, I need lots of like alone time to charge myself. My son does not require that. <laughs> he's super social, and if any of you met, have met him, his name's Ryder. I'm sure he's introduced himself to you at some point. Um, and... I, after every afternoon, because he wants to be with whoever the most interesting adult is around, and I'm there a lot, so a lot of times it's me, even though I think to myself it's really interesting, um, but he wants to be around me almost all the time, wants me to entertain him and play with him, and um, I, I have every afternoon, he doesn't nap anymore, but every afternoon I make him take an hour of quiet time to be by himself. Um, and I do find myself, as the days go by, trying to make him play on his own and kind of give me my space. And I always kind of thought it was mostly for him, like, oh, he needs to be able to play on his own, which is true. Um, he needs that, you know, he needs to be able to entertain himself. And plus, it's so good to be by yourself. It's like, you know, it's just to be just introspective and to learn how to entertain oneself. And I realized... I was just, I felt convicted this morning. How much do I do that just because I want to be alone <laughs> and because I want him to leave me alone? And, and um, I feel very convicted that I want him, I, I need to pray for the energy for him all day because the more I don't have the energy or feel like it and to let him know that I want him to come to me and that he's loved and um, I want the time for him and be just a little bit like who I want him to look at God to look at as someone who wants has insatiable energy for him and time and um, whose love his the heights and depths um, of his love are so great and um, yeah and I know I'm being a little hard on myself <laughs> I know we all need time and energy um, for our for ourselves but I just I pray that he knows that I want to be with him the way that God wants us to be with him. And I pray that, you know, you guys know that too, that the Lord has energy for you all day, all day and all night for no matter how big your problem is or how small your problem is, he wants to meet you and he loves you. Um, so I'm going to pray and then Tom's going to go pick up your kids and love them. <laughs> Insatiably. Ah, Father.
Father, uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for um, calling us your children and um, being the best father. Um, we are so grateful and honored. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
my son is very extroverted. My oldest son. I am not at all. Um, I like people, but um, I need lots of like alone time to charge myself. My son does not require that. <laughs> he's super social, and if any of you met have met him, his name's Ryder. I'm sure he's introduced himself to you at some point. Um, and I, after every afternoon, because he wants to be with whoever the most interesting adult is around, and I'm there a lot, so a lot of times it's me, even though I think to myself it's really interesting. Um, but he wants to be around me almost all the time, wants me to entertain him and play with him. And um, I, I have every afternoon, he doesn't nap anymore, but every afternoon I make him take an hour of quiet time to be by himself. Um, and I do find myself, as the days go by, trying to make him play on his own and kind of give me my space. And I always kind of thought it was mostly for him, like, oh, he needs to be able to play on his own, which is true. Um, he needs that, you know, he needs to be able to entertain himself. And plus, it's so good to be by himself. Like, you know, it's just it's to be just introspective and to learn how to entertain oneself. And I realized I was just, I felt convicted this morning. How much do I do that just because I want to be alone? <laughs> And because I want him to leave me alone, and and um, I feel very convicted that I want him. I I need to pray for the energy to let him all day, even when I don't have the energy or feel like it, and to let him know that I want him to come to me and that he's loved, and um, I have the time for him, and um, that um, to be just a little bit like who I want him to look at God, to look at as someone who wants, has insatiable energy for him and time, and um, whose love, his, the heights and depths um, of his love are so great, and um, yeah, and I know I'm being a little hard on myself, <laughs> I know we all need time and energy um, for, our, for ourselves, but I just, I pray that he knows that I want to be with him, um, and that I really the way that God wants us to be with him. And I pray that, you know, you guys know that too, that the Lord has energy for you all day, all day and all night for no matter how big your problem is or how small your problem is, he wants to meet you and he wants you. Um, I'm going to pray and then probably go pick up your kids and love them. <laughs> Insatiably. <sighs> Father, uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for um, calling us your children and um, being the best father. Um, we are so grateful and honored and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.